Hi, good to see you guys. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Michael. I'm married to Beth Ann, and we come to Forest Town, and we love this church. We love being here. Um, I love so much of what you had to say just now. Um, Aunt really leans into what we're talking about um, tonight. Um, so Beth Ann and I moved here 23 years ago to work with young people, to work with teenagers. And um, one of the things that we love to do is take them away to camp in the summer. So 20, in 2001, we took a whole group of young people from Hartford, where we live, to a camp in America. And uh, we had a great time. And at our camps, people share the gospel over the course of several talks, they're sharing the gospel. And we had one girl there named Natalie, who um, was 18, but had never really gone away from home before. Her mom was really nervous about it. And she's processing the gospel. She's really thinking about it. And then at the end of the week, they have a chance to respond if they want to say yes to follow Jesus or not. And she talked to Bethann and said, I really want to come home and talk to my mom about this before I, because this is a big decision. And Bethany's like, of course, that makes perfect sense. So we get back from the camp, and Natalie goes to talk to her mom, and her mom is not happy. Her mom is pretty anti-Christian. And so she gets really upset that her daughter was ready to become a Christian. And so I'll never forget, we were having a Bible study at our house, and um, we get a knock on the door, and it's Natalie's mom and Natalie there at the door. And you can tell from the way they um, come through the door that not happy. This is not a happy moment, right? This is like, oh, man. And so we go back into our dining room while everybody else is still in the front room doing Bible study. And she, I'll never forget this. This is 20, you know, 22 years ago. It's just like it happened yesterday. We sat at the table and she said, your job, right, your role is to get to know these young people. I was like, yes, ma'am, that's, that's our role. She goes, well, my role is to get rid of you. And I mean, we're, we're this close. And she's reaching across the table, pointing at me like, my job is to get, I've never had anybody, have you ever had anybody do this to you before? I, that's my first. My job is to get rid of you, and I'm going to do whatever it takes. And I was like, and we had only been living in the UK, you know, a year. And we're like, man, this is, this is not exactly what we thought was going to happen, you know. We thought, everybody loves us. We're Americans. They're like, oh, we love your accent. I've been to America. We went to Disney World. I'm like, yeah, everybody goes to Disney World. We know that. That's not America. That's part of America. But this woman, this mom was mad. And then she did something really interesting. She didn't complain to the head teacher at the school. She complained to his boss. Instead of just talking directly to him, she went above him, wrote him a letter, like these people are talking to kids about Jesus, and you let them in the school. What were you thinking? So the head teacher asked me to come in and meet with him. And we had been at the school for a whole year. They, we had been allowed into the school and to hang out with kids. I was running sound for a musical. Beth Ann was helping with a choreography for this musical, Little Shop of Horrors. And we were getting to know all these kids, and we were up there all the time. It was great. And then I go into the, the office with the head teacher, 
This seems really echoey. Does it sound echoey to you guys? It's sounding echoey. I'm going to try without it. Uh, we need it to oh, you need it. Then let's just do it for the broadcast. Okay. I'm just hearing myself again and again. So um, I go in, and the head teacher has a Bible. And he holds up this Bible, and he says, Are you telling me that you believe that what is in here is true? And I said, Yes. And he throws it at me. He says, That's rubbish. It's ridiculous that you would ever believe that. I want you out of my school, and I don't want you to ever come back again. That was his response. After a year of serving at the school and meeting all these kids, we were kicked out and told never to come back in again. And the problem with that is not just this school, but head teachers all know each other and they talk to each other. So he's telling the other head teachers in Hartford, warning them about these young life people who want to come in and get to know their kids and tell them about Jesus. So all the schools shut their doors. Year one. Woo! Let's go, baby. Woo! Not what we expected, but we should have. We should have. Because that, so many times throughout Scripture and throughout reality, is when you begin to share the gospel, when you begin to move in a direction and people's lives begin to be changed there will be resistance. Somebody's going to get mad, right? Somebody, somebody's going to get angry or jealous or mad or frustrated, and they want to do something about it. And then there's an enemy who is always going, if you're not doing anything with your Christian life, if you're making no inroads, no difference, guess what? He will leave you alone. And you can have a nice, safe, comfortable, boring life. Right? But if you begin to move in a direction like I am going to be proactive and I'm going to actually interact with people and I'm going to actually initiate with people to share my faith, to share the gospel, the enemy and others who don't like it will resist. And you will face some sort of hardship. And that doesn't matter which country on the planet Earth you are in. That will be true. Now the good news is, that this happened to Jesus, right? I mean, just look at the early days of his ministry. Mark chapter 2, he's healing a paralytic, and he talks about how he's the one who has the authority to forgive sins. Chapter 2, the religious leaders are already talking about, this guy's blaspheming, he needs to die. I mean, early days, they wanted him gone. Right from the beginning, that was the model. And then we get to Acts, right? We get to Acts, and we'll go, I'm going to give you a little quick review. Acts chapter 1, Jesus is saying goodbye to his disciples, right? Very beginning. And he says to them, they're like, when's the hour that you're going to return? And he said, listen, you don't need to worry about that, but here's what you need, need, do need to know. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, right? This is, he's not telling them what might happen. He's actually giving them a template a picture of what's going to happen and does happen throughout the book of Acts. Right in the very beginning, Acts chapter 1, he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. This is going to happen. And when that happens, he says, you will then be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, 
then throughout Judea, the surrounding area, then into Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. This is what is going to happen. These are all future tense definites, right? He's told them. And so they're going, okay, so that's chapter one, but they have to wait till they get the Spirit, right? So they wait. Pentecost happens, the Holy Spirit comes in. Chapter two rolls around. What happens chapter two? They get up in front of thousands of people and Peter preaches, right? I'm talking about amazing. Now, at this point, Jerusalem is the size of St. Albans, where we are right now. It's about 100,000 people live in Jerusalem at this point. But there's a festival going on, so they, they think there was probably a quarter of a million people in town at this point. And it's not a big place. I, I looked this up. St. Albans, if you think about this city, is seven square miles, or about 4,500 acres. That's the size of St. Albans if you walked around it. Jerusalem at this time was about 300 acres. And an acre, if you're wondering, if you're trying to picture an acre, a football pitch is one and a half acres. That's what an acre looks like, a football pitch and a half, okay? So Jerusalem was only 300 football pitches. It's not that big. And there's 250,000 people crammed in. And they're not just from around Jerusalem or Judea. They're from all across the Roman Empire. Did you guys know that? If you read in chapter 2, he starts listing off where all these people are from. Present day, they would be from Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Tunisia, Syria, Turkey, Greece, Macedonia, all the way to Italy. All across the Roman Empire, people are in town. In chapter 2, Peter stands up and he preaches, right? And what does it say? 3,000 people respond to the gospel. 3,000. Just what you're talking about. I mean, can you imagine being in the space and he's preaching and then all of a sudden there's 3,000 people come down? The religious leaders are watching this and they're going, what is happening right now? This is crazy. Then we get to chapter 3, and they begin to heal people, just exactly what Aunt was talking about. Suddenly, they're healing people, and now everybody is bringing all their people to them and say, will you heal me? Will you heal me? And the people are flooding in. And then he preaches again. And then we get to chapter 4. I always find this so uh, interesting it's not the easiest thing in the world to hold a Bible and a mic at the same time. But here we go. So chapter 4 rolls around. The very beginning of chapter 4 it says this. They were speaking to the people, and the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. I love this. They were ready for this. In my translation, it says they were greatly annoyed. <laughs> Don't you love that? They were hacked off, people. They were not happy to the point where it says, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. So they arrested them and they put them in custody until the next day. But then it says this, but many of those who heard the word believed and the number of men came to about 5,000. So first you had 3,000, then they arrest them, and now you got 5,000 men. 
Now you're talking about thousands of even more. This is a movement that's happening that's sweeping through Jerusalem. And God is planting seeds of people who are going to go back across the entire Roman Empire with the gospel. That's what's happening right now. So they're doing exactly what we've been called to do, which is preach the word, share the good news, and there's resistance. They've already been arrested once in chapter 4. And what's amazing is directly after that, even more people respond to the gospel. I want, you to under, I want you to get this picture in your mind that throughout history, and we see it here and we see it throughout history, when there is resistance to the gospel, when people are getting arrested because they're sharing their faith or they're being persecuted or they're being run out of town, the gospel flourishes and grows like crazy. Which is amazing to me, but it's true. There's a correlation there. The more hard it is, the more it's like somebody's trying to stamp out a fire, and yet what happens instead is the fire grows because of persecution. So the persecution that we got that wanted to get rid of us, this lady, this head teacher that was like, we don't want you around anymore, it can either make us feel like let's, let's just go, or can actually fuel a fire in us to keep going even more, right? To not give up. So now we keep going into, uh, into the middle of chapter 4. It says this. I love this. This is verse 13. It says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And then this is a great sentence. Ready? Then they recognized these men had been with Jesus. I think that's a, that's a phrase that we should go into the middle of our hearts. They recognized these men had been with Jesus. And their lives had been turned upside down. And they were completely motivated. And they were not going to be intimidated by these religious leaders at all. Didn't matter what they did to them. They were going to keep preaching the word. They were going to keep going. Then we get to chapter 5, verse 17. It says, the high priest rose up and all who were with him, they were filled with jealousy. Remember what I was saying before? When you preach the gospel, you're going to make some people mad. These guys were filled with jealousy because suddenly they were losing control of the people. They were losing their power. They were, and they didn't know how to stop it. They didn't know what to do. They actually felt a little intimidated because it was like the apostles were so popular because they'd been healing people and taking care of people and teaching people and people responding in the thousands that they, were, they weren't even sure they could arrest them again. So instead of arresting them, they asked them to come. Hey, would it be okay if you came and met with us? So they bring them in, and they don't quite know what to do, but they beat them, and then they say, Stop preaching, and then they'll let them go. And then the final bit of chapter 5 simply says this. <clears throat> then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, 
they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Didn't matter what the religious leaders did. They could beat him, they could throw him in prison, they could try to intimidate him. They weren't going to stop preaching the word. They weren't going to do it. And because of that, we know about Jesus. Because they didn't stop. I, was, I, I did this talk the other night with a whole bunch of students. So Naomi is hearing this for the second time. Well done, Naomi. She's like, I'll be there, Michael. I was like, all right. Um, and, I, and I told him the story of St. Alban. You guys know the story of St. Alban, where we are in St. Albans? So the gospel makes its way across Europe, and it gets to England before 200 A.D. The gospel's here. People are worshiping Jesus in England before, within 150 years of Jesus being standing on the planet Earth. Amazing, right? And then there's a priest here the Romans are going to kill. They're trying to snuff out Christianity. And this guy named Alban goes to the priest and says, I will take your place. I'll pretend to be you, and you escape so the gospel will continue to be preached. And the Romans killed Alban instead of the priest. And that's why the name of this city is St. Albans. Isn't that cool? Where we live is a reminder that somebody was willing to give their life so the gospel would continue to be preached. People have been worshiping and following Jesus for almost 2,000 years right here where we are today. And the name of our city is a reminder of that. I love that. So how does, what does this look like for us today? And I, and I thought about it. I was like, you know, we live, I mean, it's so cool you just were talking about India, Ant. Um, because we live in a country where you can walk outside right now and talk to somebody about Jesus. No problem. There is no law that's stopping you from going outside and saying, hey, can I talk to you about Jesus? None. But there's plenty of countries in this world, loads of them, that if you were to walk outside and start talking to someone about Jesus, you could be arrested, you could be beaten, you could be thrown into jail, you could be deported, or you could be killed because you went out and talked to somebody about Jesus. We went on a mission trip to India 20-something years ago, Beth Ann and I, trying to figure out where we were going to move in the world. It, was, it took that trip to realize India was not it, by the way. We went to India, and we worked with this guy named Lazarus, who was working with lepers. And he had an amazing ministry, but he told us about how over and over and over again, militant Hindus would come in and destroy his trucks, his motorcycles, his buildings, trying to shut him down. They didn't want him there because he was making a difference. We went to a village uh, that Lazarus had been ministering to, and the entire village was getting baptized while we were there, the whole village, to follow Jesus because of his ministry. But the resistance was real. It was real, right? And that's just true around the world in so many places. So what about St. Albans? What about where we live? What are we going to do about that? You know, I think that for me, as I read 
this and I'm reminded of what the disciples were willing to do and to go through, I think we have such freedom, we should take advantage of it. I feel compelled that where we are, we have, we're allowed to go and talk to people, so we should. But here's why we don't, right? We're comfortable. It's a very comfortable place to live. Uh, or maybe we, we go out and share the gospel and somebody says, I don't want to be your friend anymore. That's how our teenagers feel. When we talk to them about sharing their faith, they go, if, I, if I talk to somebody about Jesus, they're not going to want to talk to me ever again. And I don't want to lose all my friendships. Right? That's something we feel. Some people, oh, I've talked to you here in Forest Town, say, if I shared my faith at work, I would get fired. I'd lose my job. Can't do it. And we've seen that in the news where if there's a, a person who had a cross around their neck, a, a nurse or a doctor, they would, if they were refused to remove it, they would be kicked out of their job. So there are some fears. But here's the, here's the amazing thing. If we are willing to go through some hard stuff and share the gospel, people's lives will get changed. And we can participate in the gospel growing. Let me finish the story from earlier. So we were kicked out of the school, and we weren't in any of the schools 20-something years ago. And we had to go. We gathered together with our team, and we prayed. We're like, Lord, what do you want us to do? And the Lord was clear. Keep going. Keep sharing the gospel. Keep meeting kids. So it was actually one of the best things that ever happened to us because we got so reliant on being able to go into a school that we thought that's the only way to meet kids. So we figured out loads of other ways to meet young people. The other thing we did, which was a little cheeky but was fun, was that the school would open up each year like for open days. For anybody to come in and view the school, especially parents who had kids who might go to school there, well, Bethany and I just showed up for every single open day. We didn't have any kids, but we were there anyway because it was open to anybody. We're like, well, we might have kids one day, and they might want to go to school there, so we're going to come check it out. So we're just walking around the school saying hey to everybody, and the head teacher can't do anything about it because everybody's invited. If there was a sporting event after school where any parent could show up to watch their kids play football or netball, we were there. When school was out in the afternoons, Bethann and I would be standing across the street just greeting kids as they came out of the school. We're like, we're just going to keep going. But the other thing we did was we began to pray. Because you need to pray, right? And here's what we prayed. Lord, either remove this head teacher or redeem him. Remove him or redeem him. And we just started praying that. And then we felt bad because a couple years later that he was in a car accident and we're like, we don't want him dead. Don't kill him. Uh, and he wasn't killed, but his pelvis got broken in the car accident, and he couldn't drive to school anymore. So he took a job closer to home, and he left the school. So a couple years later, the head teacher who didn't want us in, the Lord removed him. <laughs> the new head teacher comes in, and the Holy Spirit's like, Michael, you need to go talk to the new head teacher. And I'm, I don't know why, but I'm scared. We don't have anything to lose, but I, I felt like if I go in to talk to him, and he's like, yeah, I heard from the old head teacher, yeah, we're not going to let you in. I'm just going to feel even more gutted, right? But I knew that wasn't what I needed to live in, so I went back to see the head teacher. 
And um, I just went in and uh, I said, and the first thing he said to me was this. I'm sitting there and he goes, so what are you, some sort of evangelical Christian? First question. I was like, this could go really good or really bad. <laughs> I have no idea what's about to happen. And I said, well, I am a Christian and I do believe you should be out you know, actively sharing your faith. And he goes, great, me too. And I was like, seriously? He said, yeah. He goes, how much do you want to be up at the school? And by, and within five minutes, he said, you can come up here every day if you want. You don't even have to have a reason to come up to the school. Just come up and hang out with kids. And for the next six years, I did every one of their Christmas and Easter assemblies. And I was up there at least twice a week just playing football, hanging out with kids. The Lord opened the door. He can do whatever he wants to do, right? But we prayed, redeem or remove. He picked remove. He may have redeemed him since then. I don't know. And we're back in the school. Guys, we need to be preaching the gospel. We need to be sharing our faith with our friends. I told these university students the other night that I became a Christian at university because another one of my friends led me to Christ. They shared their faith with me. And that's why I'm a Christian today. And by the way, most people would tell you the reason they came to faith is because someone invited them to something like church or they personally shared their testimony with them. They shared their faith with them. It's a verbal thing. People don't just figure out about Jesus. They need to hear about Jesus. This is why we preach. This is why we teach. This is why we share our stories. And if you are doing it, you will face resistance and persecution. But you should expect it. And guess what? That's okay. That resistance, just like we hear about in India and around the world, actually fuels the flame to grow and the gospel to grow. So we keep going. And just like the disciples at the end of Acts 5, it just simply said they just kept going and they were there every day. So here's my takeaway, just a simple takeaway. In just a few weeks, we're about to have two amazing opportunities to bring our friends who don't know Jesus to church and hear the gospel. Simple takeaway, bring somebody on the 17th and the 24th to church who doesn't know Jesus. Bring them, invite them. We were just talking to our daughter Maddie today who's getting to know this girl named Sophia. Is that her name, Sophia? Who's not a Christian. And Beth, Maddie just invited her to come to their carol service at her church, and she's coming. She's like, sure, I'd love to come. She actually's been kind of bugging Maddie, like, when can I come to church with you? And Maddie's like, okay, I'll, I'll invite you. And my son, MB, just invited his friend. It's so funny. MB, if you guys don't know my son, MB's 14, but he's small like me. But he plays on the basketball team at Richard Hale. And his best friend on the basketball team is a guy from the Czech Republic named Vojta, who's six foot three. <laughs> they walk around together, and you're like, wow, that's, whoo, there's a big difference. And MB just invited him along to come to Young Life. And he doesn't know Jesus. I was like, well done, MB. Keep going. And I'm like, if my kids are doing it, shouldn't I be doing it? Shouldn't we be doing it? So there's the challenge. If you know somebody, 
who doesn't know Jesus, who needs to know Jesus, invite them, 17th, 24th. And here's the other challenge. If you don't know anybody, you don't have any friends who don't know Jesus, then find one. (laughs) And simply, you know, sometimes we get in our Christian bubble, our Christian world, and we go, who would I even invite? Here's what I would say, simple, start praying. Lord, who is it that you have for me? Who's the one person that I can invite along, that I can build a bridge with? Because I truly believe everybody on the planet Earth needs Jesus. And we are free right here in England and St. Albans to share the gospel with everybody. So let's do it. Yeah? All right. I'm going to pray and we're going we're gonna to do one more or not? Are we done? It's 743. I have no idea. Yeah? No? Yes? All right. I'm going to pray. Thank you, God, so much for a reminder of the gospel and the power of the gospel and the need for the gospel. And the reminder to all of us that when we share the gospel, there will be resistance. But when we share the gospel, there will be a difference. People's lives will be changed, and we want to take part in that. We want to be involved in what you're doing around the planet Earth, specifically right here in St. Albans. So I pray, Lord, that on the 17th, 24th, and on from there, that we would all have at least one person that we are going, would you come with me to this and hear about Jesus? In your name we pray, amen.